Well, good evening. Good to see everybody that's here tonight. Glad to have those of you who are joining with us online on Facebook and Twitter. You can find us at HBC Tullahoma. YouTube is Highland Baptist Tullahoma. And then our phone live streaming, you can call the church office, 931-455-0645, and we can get that number uh, for you. So I encourage you to, to use those resources there. Share it uh, with your friends. Don't forget that you can go to our church website, highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab there that you can download uh, the worship bulletin for today. Uh, you've got all the upcoming events that are in there. Uh, also, you've got the children's worship bulletins that are underneath that info tab. If you need those tonight in person, they're over here in the windowsill. Uh, and then while you're there, also you can download the prayer list or uh, the church newsletter for this month. If you go to the far right-hand side on the website, click the Give Online tab there. You can do your online giving there. Anybody in person can do that. Or, or you can do it in the offering plates, uh, wherever uh, they may be on the sides here or at the back. Uh, so I encourage you to take the time to do that. If you're at home, go ahead and do your online giving uh, there. And then also, uh, don't forget that we have Vacation Bible School that's coming up. Uh, help us. We've got a few of these signs that you can take and put around town uh, in some prominent places where maybe just wherever you want to take them to, uh, that they'll allow you to put them up. Our kickoff is going to be June the 4th from 6 to 7.30 with some food, fun, games, and a color run walk. Uh, and then Vacation Bible School is going to be the 6th through the 10th from 6 to 8.30. If you can help in any way, uh, even if that's helping with some decorating stuff, if that's helping with uh, security uh, for during the week of Vacation Bible School, please see Amanda Monroe. I said Amanda Jordan uh, this morning and changed her name there. <laughs> so put them both together, Amanda and Jordan. But it's Amanda Monroe. See her, see myself, or see Pastor Matt, and we'll get you that information. And then also... Uh, on our announcements uh, that scrolled this morning, uh, you would have noticed a slide there. You'll see it in the worship bulletin also for Vacation Bible School. Uh, it's this little picture right here. Uh, you can go ahead and, and pre-register online. You just pull out your phone, put your camera over it, a little thing will pop up. You click it, it goes to uh, the online uh, registration form. So be sure to do that. If you want the old school paper version, those are on the table back here as well as on the stand back here in the hallway. Uh, We'll be glad to help you in any way that we can uh, in registering there. And then don't forget our baby bottles. We've got just a few. I think this may be all that's left. Uh, there may be just a tad on the table back in the, in the foyer there, but uh, this is all that's left up front. Uh, so be sure to get one of these. We're collecting our change, our dollars, whatever you can give uh, towards the Life Choices Pregnancy Support Center. I want to encourage you to take that and to put that in. Uh, we'll be bringing those back at Father's Day. And then if you were not here to get one of these uh, this morning or last week for Mother's Day or you know somebody that didn't get one, uh, that's maybe at home, uh, please pick up these. They are on the table back here outside the office. So just wanted to make you aware of those things and uh, make sure you pick up those things before you leave. Brother Mike, if you'll come, lead us in worship. Present ourselves to God as a workman, not ashamed. So toiling on, let's sing to the work. 615. Miss Pat. Wow. 
I slipped out for a second and gave Mike a scare there. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> I forgot one little thing that I wanted to bring up with me for my sermon tonight, and so I wanted to run and get that in my office real quick. I'd forgotten to get that. So uh, take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 4 again and verse 21. Now, I've entitled this message tonight, The Lamp. Not the basket, but the basket, <laughs> so I misspelled there, and some seeds. And so uh, you're going to see what each one of those has to do tonight as we look at some more parables uh, that Jesus has to share uh, with us. And so uh, we're going to begin with verse 33 and verse 34, and then we're going to come back and look at these, chapter, at these verses uh, as we look specifically to understand why is Jesus speaking in these parables. So uh, verse 33 and verse 34, let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word. With many such parables He spoke the Word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your truth and for your word tonight. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will speak your truth into our hearts and into our lives. Help us, Lord, to understand, even as the disciples did when you spoke these parables to them, uh, that, that you explained them to them. Help us to understand the explanation and the application for our hearts and for our lives. Lord, we pray for your will to be done tonight, Lord, and in our lives. If we're here as believers, that we will be strengthened in our faith to be faithful, more faithful than ever before in sharing the gospel, but also to disciples. Uh, those who are new believers, uh, but then also if, if there are those who are watching or those who are here tonight who don't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, we pray that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would trust by faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So bless your word and, and let us be blessed by hearing it and reading it and keeping it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, as we said this morning in looking at that passage before about, really about the soils, about the four different kinds of soils, uh, we, we came to the conclusion that one of the keys about what we see there is there has to be fruit. There has to be fruit that gives evidence of your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that's where we kind of pick up tonight with these parables. There has to be fruit. So Jesus is going to tell us three stories here. But as you look first at those verses, verse 33 and verse 34, uh, we begin to understand a little bit more why he used stories. 
Uh, Jesus used these stories that we call parables. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning to illustrate the Word of God. That's one of the things he's telling us in verse 33, uh, that with many such parables he spoke the Word to them. Uh, so he's speaking to explain the truth of the Word of God to them. He's also teaching them step by step, and we'll look at that in just a moment, and also to enforce the lesson in private. And so what is there about these illustrations, about these parables that Jesus is, is telling that caused Jesus to use them so much? Why does he use these parables so much? Well, one of the reasons is, is because stories and pictures are more interesting and tend to draw a person's attention more readily. Uh, some think better in pictures. When you see something visually, uh, as we're going to see tonight, one of the things I ran to go get uh, that I brought with me tonight is a, is a lamp. Uh, this is a lamp from Israel. It's something similar uh, to what they would have used. Some of them would have this part completely open uh, that you would lay a cloth or something down in uh, to the olive oil that would be in the base of it. This one has uh, a hole, if you will, in the center here. Uh, you would put a, a, a rope wick sticking out uh, of the little hole here on the top. You would light it and then it would burn in the house. And you would take this. Usually all they had was one of these. You couldn't afford to have a lot of these. And so uh, you would have one of these and you would set it up on a high place in the house uh, so that it could give light everywhere in the house. And so Jesus uses something like this that you can visually see that, that that's going to stick in your mind every time you see one of these at home from now on in the biblical culture, in the biblical day there. And so that's one of the reasons, because uh, people think better in pictures. You know, pictures and parables here, usually, parables especially, require more thought to see the comparison between the story and the truth. And, and so what we see here is Jesus uses some comparisons to draw uh, the, the, the daily life uh, of people uh, and to look at the things and the events that are going on in their lives that would be familiar to them and to say, if you notice this lamp, there's something that applies to us spiritually about a lamp. And so he then further goes into explanation to his disciples to explain uh, what that would be. And so he also spoke in the language of the people. That's one of the reasons he spoke in parables and stories. Uh, he was just speaking in using very simple language, very simple plain words. Uh, he wasn't seeking to show some superiority, although he was superior. I mean, he could have used whatever words that he wanted to. Uh, he, he could have uh, spoken with superior education or, or or a superior vocabulary, uh, he, he could have shown his speaking ability or, or anything else, but he never acted above the people. Uh, Jesus taught the people also progressively. He moved them along from one step to another step, step by step, sort of like walking them along from, from point A to point B. So understand this, every one of us who are here tonight, every one of us who are watching online, there's not a one of us who are at the same exact place spiritually. Every one of us, because of our life experiences, because of our, our discipline and spending time with the Lord, are all at different places along the journey in our walk with the Lord. And so that's one of the reasons he would tell uh, these stories and parables, because he knew that his disciples uh, were at different places than the crowd would be. He knew that the, the crowd uh, was at a different place than some of the religious leaders were. And so he spoke in these parables uh, to, to help move people along step by step from point A to point B as they were able to hear. And not everybody could understand the spiritual truth, but the story itself was understandable to everyone. So if I bro broke out a, a lamp and I told a story about a lamp, everybody's going to remember the story about the lamp. They may not get the spiritual truth about it, but they will remember the story about the lamp. And then sometime later, as he imparts more truth into their life, it'll be like a light bulb that'll click on almost. Sometimes that happens to us. We remember a story or an image that someone shared with us to illustrate something, and we're like, oh, I get it now. 
I get it now. It's almost like a light bulb comes on. And so it, it could easily be recalled in the future for spiritual growth if the person was stirred to seek the truth. And so there are several things I want you to see from these parables here that we need to learn to apply to our lives. And first and foremost has to do with this lamp that we see in this parable in verses 21 down through verse 25. We are to have a glowing faith. We are to have a glowing faith. Now, a glowing faith is an apparent faith. In other words, it's a faith that's not hidden. It's a faith that, that everyone can see. Now, it may be brighter in some times of your life, in some stages of your life where you're closer to the Lord than you've ever been before. It may be dimmer at times when you're uh, not as close to the Lord as you ought to be. And so wherever you are along your spiritual journey, it may determine how apparent the faith is in your life. But there always ought to be some apparentness of your faith. Light is to be set in the most conspicuous place where it can be seen. And so when you take a clay lamp like this is, uh, you, Jesus shares a very simple fact. Uh, he, he talks about a candle. He talks about it uh, being placed on a candlestick. Uh, a candle or a lamp, as he uses sometimes, is, is not placed under a bushel basket. So let's read verse 21 down through verse 25 and read the parable that he has to share with us here. And he said to them, is a lamp to be brought in, and I didn't bring a basket with me, but let's hide it under my coat here. Is a lamp to be brought in and hidden under a coat or hidden under a basket, if you will. Sorry there with the microphone. <laughs> is it to be hidden under a basket or, he says, under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. You still and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so Jesus uses a, a simple thing like a lamp that everybody had in their house. And he says, you don't take this lamp and light it and then stick it underneath the bed. What good is that, is what he's saying. You don't take it and hide it under a basket or, as we sing in the song, under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Uh, so that's, in fact, what we see here. A, a candle, as he uses in some places, or a lamp is not to be placed there. The basket, in fact, would extinguish the light, and it would no longer be able to fulfill its purpose. It couldn't give off its light. If it had a flame here, its flame and its light would no longer exist. In fact, it would begin to snuff out the light, and it would begin to grow dimmer and dimmer till finally it goes out. But notice something. The candle would still be a candle. The lamp would still be a lamp, but it wouldn't be a lamp with, uh, with, with, it would be a lamp with no purpose, if you will. It would be hidden, as it were, uh, under a bushel basket. Uh, a candle or a lamp, he says, is not to be put under a bed. Uh, think about if you took this and you lit it and you stuck it under the bed, what would happen? Now, I don't usually tell stories on my family, uh, but I will use this one because my, my daughters aren't here, and they don't usually listen to my sermons online anyway, unless they know about this one. But I remember one time, and, and maybe the people who do watch this from Pleasant Grove may know this, when they remodeled the house there, the parsonage, uh, the kids, the girls in their bedroom ha had taken a lamp, a regular lamp that has a light bulb in it, and they thought they would be smart, and they, would, they, they always had these little tent houses built of, uh, you know, you always did that with sheets and blankets and stuff. You'd put up chairs and things like that and, and, and make little tent things. Well, they thought they were going to get under the bed with this lamp. Well, they did. And things were going fine until we began to smell something. 
and that lamp was laying, it didn't have the shade on it, it was laying bare on the carpet floor, and it began to melt the carpet and left a big hole like that in the carpet. Then when we left there, it was still there uh, until they went to remodel uh, there. Uh, you know, you, that's not what a lamp is for, to put it under a bed. You see what could happen if you had this lamp that's lit with a flame of fire, what could it do? It could set the bed on fire. I mean, think of that in their culture and in their day. Everything there was combustible. I mean, they didn't have uh, wrought iron or anything there under the bed like that. It was all combustible. It would have literally caught on fire and destroyed it. And that lamp would be serving the wrong purpose. It would tragically be using its flame and its light for the wrong reason. It would still be a lamp, but it would be a lamp using its flame and its light in the wrong way. What do you do with the lamp then? If you don't put it under a bushel and you don't hide it under the bed, what do you do? You put it up on a shelf or one of the higher places in the house so that when it gives its light, it gives its light to get rid of the darkness. And so what we need to understand spiritually here is that Jesus is the light. And as long as he was here, he would be the light. But you as believers here and he, these disciples that he's speaking to, he's saying to them, you are going to be the light. And we as believers today are to be the light in a world of darkness and sin. In fact, that's what he tells us when you read Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 and verse 16, uh, through verse 16 that says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Acts chapter 13 and verse 47, or verse 47 says, For so the Lord has commanded to us, saying, I have made you a light, for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So one of the things Jesus had come to do is to bring the light of the truth of the gospel into the Jews' hearts, that they would become a light to the Gentiles. And so he says, in fact, that I have made you a light for the Gentiles. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, here's what Paul says. For he says, for at one time you were darkness... Notice what he doesn't say, you were in darkness. He says, you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. And so he's saying literally there that spiritually you are to be a light in the darkness. You once when you were in your sin were in darkness, but now that you know Christ as Lord and Savior, you're to be shining the light of Jesus Christ that is within you to a lost and dying world. Paul goes on to say in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14 and verse 15, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says again, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. And then we also see in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 from Peter who says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so when we look at the lamp, Jesus is saying the lamp is a symbol. The lamp is a symbol, a type of the truth. It stands for the light of the truth. The light and the truth are to be the character and the very nature and the behavior of who we are as believers. And so as a believer, we're to live in the truth. 
And we're to set the, the lamp, the, the candle, the truth in the most conspicuous place in our life. We ought to want people to see the light, Jesus Christ, that's in us. And so we're to share that light. Uh, we're to share the lamp and its light with others. And we have to make sure that we don't hide it, that we don't misuse the light of the truth of the gospel. And, and so elevate the light in the darkness of this world. But notice also that a glowing faith is an authentic faith. It's not just an apparent faith that people can see. It's also an authentic faith. So, so if you will look at verse 22 again. So verse 22 says, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. He says in verse 23, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus warns in those two verses that everything in your life one day is going to be revealed. Now, you may try to hide some things in your life. You may think you've swept some things under the rug in your life. But everything in our lives is going to be revealed. Nothing is hid. Maybe temporarily, but not forever. Even if a believer hides the candle, hides the lamp, even if he keeps it a secret. I mean, you look at some of uh, the people even in Jesus' day who kind of went around somewhat as a secret disciple, if you will, a quiet disciple. They didn't let others know. Uh, those who were of the Pharisees, uh, who were of the, the Sanhedrin, you think about Zacchaeus. Uh, you think about Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, they loved the Lord at some point. They, they believed the Lord. Uh, they were there and take, taking him down off the cross. Uh, Zacchaeus was one of those who heard the gospel message, responded to it, and then also showed uh, that same love to Jesus when he died on the cross. And, and yet both of those never publicly displayed and talked too much about their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so even if you try to hide the lamp, even if you try to hide the light and keep it secret, the day is coming when it will be revealed anyway. And, and so the Greek says, uh, there is nothing hid in me unless except it should be made manifest, nor has a secret thing taken place, but that it should come to light. And so understand this, we cannot hide and we cannot misuse the light and the truth forever. A day of judgment is coming. And understand this, as every Christian, every Christian is given some light, some truth. And every one of us is responsible to use whatever the light and the truth is that we have. You may not have uh, spent, a, spent time in, in theological courses. You may not have uh, been in Sunday school classes uh, growing up all your life and learning the Bible all your life. You just may be a brand new person to the faith in Jesus Christ. You take what measure that you have been given and you shine that light, the truth that you know, to the world around you. We're held accountable for what we have, for what God has given us. And so we're not supposed to hide or to misuse it. Notice also a glowing faith is an advancing faith. You don't just keep a light. You use a light. So if, if a person had one of these lamps in their house, what they would use it for, they could hold it in their hand and they could walk around the house from room to room. They could go outside if they needed to go get some water in a bucket to bring back inside when it was dark outside. Whatever they might need to do, they could walk around. The Bible tells us that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And that's what the Word does. That's what the lamp does. It lights the path. It's not for us to just stay still in our lives spiritually all the time. So verse 24 and verse 25 again says, He said to them, pay attention to, hear, to, to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so Jesus said, mark this truth. Take heed. Listen. Not just to hear it with your ears, but with the intent to obey. Make sure you hear the truth. Jesus is still talking here about the responsibility that we as the hearers have. The hearer is responsible for hearing 
the truth. They're also responsible for what they hear and how they interpret what's being said. Some people hear the truth and they don't like what the truth says, so they begin to twist the truth uh, to fit whatever is going on in their life or whatever lifestyle they want to live. But a person who hears the truth is responsible for interpreting the truth faithfully. A person is responsible for making sure that they have the truth, that they possess the truth, that they know the truth. You're responsible for what you hear, for what you possess and what you know. If we're filled in our lives with junk, you're responsible for the junk. If you're filled with the knowledge of the real truth, then you're also responsible for that truth. We're accountable for what fills our heart and what fills our mind. We're to hear or to take heed, as some versions say. What that means is we're to keep guard, to watch, to make sure that what I'm hearing is the truth. So if I'm even preaching to you, you always go back to what saith the Lord. Go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? And make sure that what I'm telling you, or anyone else, a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, a husband, a wife, whoever it might be, doesn't match up with the Word of God. We need to guard our hearts. There is a principle of truth that takes effect in every person's life. And it's very pointedly clear. The measure to which a person gives themselves to know the truth determines their reward. So, in other words, the energy and the effort and the degree of commitment and the time and the depth of thought, all that a person gives to know the truth determines their reward. So, if you just decide that, that as a Christian, I, I'm not going to spend much time in the Word, that's going to affect the rewards and the blessings you're going to experience here on this earth as you're walking and going through this earth and through this life, as well as the rewards in heaven. Secondly, he goes to another parable, and he talks about sowing, we're to have a sowing faith. And so we see this in verse 26 down through verse 29. You know, Jesus liked a lot of these agricultural uh, terms and stories that he could tell because that was an agricultural society that he was talking to. Everybody knew what it was like uh, growing up on a farm and living on a farm and, so, and, and, and to eat from the land. And so he says in verse uh, 26 here, we're going to see the planting of the seed. This parable tells us what happens to the fruitful seed in the parable that we looked at this morning in verses 1 through verse 20. So if you didn't get that message, go back and watch that uh, online about the parable of the soils or the parable of the, the seed and the sower. Uh, it, it describes how that seed that we talked about there that's a fruitful seed, how it goes about growing and the process through, through which it passes. That seed is the gospel and the ground is the good ground that he's talking about. He's talking about the soul, the heart uh, of a person. And, and there's four things said about a fruitful seed once that it's taken root. But the major point is, is that growth is inevitable. So once the gospel has taken root in your heart, in the heart of a believer, growth will take place. If growth is not taking place, then you need to go back to examine the root. Have I placed my trust and my faith in the right place? Have I plus placed it in Jesus Christ? If you have, then you're going to grow spiritually. And that's a great promise of God, the, the great assurance and the confidence, the great hope and the encouragement to every believer that you will grow if you are, if you are rooted in Jesus Christ. So notice the planting of the seed in verse 26. So he goes with another parable. He says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now, he's just got through talking about this big parable, and we had that image from this morning, but if you didn't watch that this morning, uh, just remember in that culture, in that day, they had that satchel, they had that bag that they would reach in and take the seed, and they would cast it. Some would fall on the, on the path, some would fall on the stony ground, some would fall on the places where the briars and the weeds are growing up, and, and all of those would never produce until those that fell on the good soil did take root, and they began to grow up, and they began to produce fruit. And so in this verse here, in verse 26, we see it's us 
who sows the seed. So he's reinforcing what he's already told us in that uh, the parable. The seed has to be sown by us. There's just simply no other way that it can be sown. Uh, we are the means, we are the instruments that God has chosen to share the gospel with the world. If we don't tell the world the good news of the gospel, who will? And so it is, notice here also that it's the ground, the earth where the seed is sown, that's the most important. That's what we saw in the parable this morning in the, in the previous verses in verse 1 down through verse 20. And so it's the earth that God wants to reach. It's the world that God wants to hear the good news. And so God has sent us as his followers out into the earth to take the seed of the gospel and to cast it out. Now sometimes, as we talked about, there were four different types of soil, but only one type of soil did the seed take in. So that means three-fourths, three-fourths of the seed that went out there never took root. Three-fourths of the seed never produced any fruit. Three-fourths of the seed, when we're talking about the, the gospel going into the hearts and lives of people, those three-fourths never were saved. We need to be sharing the gospel more than ever before. So that that fourth that falls on the good ground can fall on more good ground. And we need to be praying for God to work the ground, to till up the ground to people's hearts. That the, when the gospel comes into their lives, they'll be receptive to the gospel. And so God has sent us to cast out the seed of the gospel. But I want you to see also here the perplexity of the seed. Notice verse 27, the perplexity of the seed. He's talking about the one who sows here. He says, he sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. So understand this first and foremost, that the growth of the seed, when the seed comes into the good soil that it's going to grow in, that's the only soil it can grow in. When it comes into that good soil and it begins to grow, the growth of the seed isn't on us. It isn't of us. The sower or the farmer plants their seed, and then he says they just go about their regular affairs. They go to sleep, they wake up. They go to sleep, they wake up. They go to sleep, they wake up. They do their daily routine that they normally would do. Uh, they sleep and they rise day by day, and they're just carrying on the routine of their life. And all during that time, the seed is there under the soil. He may not even see what the seed is doing at that moment, especially in the beginning courses. You ever planted a garden or you've ever planted flowers by seed? You'll know that. It sometimes takes a week or more before you finally start seeing the soil just begin to pop up just a little bit. Sometimes you can't even see where the seed is germinating there, but underneath the soil, the seed is germinating. And eventually it springs up through the soil and it begins to grow. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting here uh, to those who are hearing this parable. The point is this, the seed grows by its own virtue. The seed uses the sun, the seed uses the water, the seed uses the air, the seed uses the earth to grow, but the power to germinate, to break forth and grow is of the seed itself by its own virtue. It's not of us who make the seed grow. You can, you can watch the seed all day long, day after day. You can uh, to disturb the dirt around it day after day, but it's not going to make it grow any faster. It's like watching paint dry. <laughs> you ever seen that? Uh, trying to watch those seeds, waiting for them. When are they ever going to come up? Sometimes it's a couple of weeks before they begin to finally germinate. We sometimes don't even know and realize the mysterious growth that takes place. Uh, understand that the secret of life and growth is beyond us. We discover, we rearrange, we develop, but we don't create. Not in the sense of creation in the Bible, ex nihilo, out of nothing. It's the same with the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying. With the growth of believers, whether it's individually or whether it's us as a collective group, as the church, growth is not of us. Who gives the increase? 
God does. God's the one who gives the growth. And so it's the Spirit of God that takes the seed of the gospel in your heart and, and changes a person's heart and causes them to grow. So even if I was to try to do that in and of myself, it would be a false faith because it would be based then upon me and what I do. The, the growth of the seed happens by the Spirit of God growing it in the person's heart. It's the Spirit of God that recreates a person spiritually, that causes a person to be born again. I can't cause anybody to be born again. Only God can do that. And so that's one of the reasons when we cast the seed, we need to be praying to the Spirit, to God. We need to be praying for God to, to work in the heart of that individual to cause that seed of the gospel to grow up and to spring up. But notice also the production of the seed in verse 28. Notice verse 28 that says, The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, than the full grain in the year. So notice, the growth is sure. The growth is constant, but the growth is gradual. You don't go out and plant corn seed in the garden and come out the next morning and it's jacking the beanstalk and you got corn stalks everywhere and you got ears of corn on them. That doesn't happen. That's not real. You plant the seed and it's days upon days upon days upon days until finally you start to see the blade just begin to stick up out of the ground. And then that stalk begins to grow up and then you begin to see the ear come off of it or the, or the husk begin to come off of it uh, with, with the wheat. And, and then inside that, inside the husk of the, uh, the shucks of the corn, it, that seed on the cob inside it is beginning to grow. If you pull that apart too soon, you'll notice that they're little tiny kernels. They're not ready yet. They've not fully produced and so all that time that all this is happening, all that seed is growing uh, on that cob. But the growth is gradual. The growth is constant. The growth is sure. And so notice the words about the earth bearing fruit of itself. In other words, it's automated in a sense. It means, in fact, that is the word there in the Greek is automate. It means automatically, spontaneously, of necessity, self-moving. Uh, the idea is that the earth brings forth fruit automatically by its very nature. Growth is sure, it's inevitable. But two conditions are essential. What did we learn from the parable uh, back in, in verse 1 through verse 20? There has to be good soil. If you don't have good soil, it doesn't matter how uh, much seed you plant on it. If you plant it on the path, if you plant it on the rocky ground, if you plant it where the thorns are, you can plant all the seed you want. They're not going to grow up and produce good fruit. If these two conditions, so not only does there have to be good ground, the seed has to be sown into the ground. So if we just keep the seed in our satchel... We just keep the seed in our lives, in our hearts, and we never go about and share the gospel with anybody. How's the seed getting out there? It's not. And so that's what Jesus is showing us here. There has to be good ground. There has to be sowing of the seed. And if those two conditions exist, then growth is both inevitable and unstoppable. Even a small blade of grass can, can grow up in the crack in, a, in the pavement. Nothing can stop a seed from growing. Growth is constant, but it's gradual. It's slow. The seed is sown, and then day after day, night after night passes before that blade ever springs up. And then more days and more nights pass before the ear forms. And it takes weeks for the full ear of corn to appear. A growth is taking place. It is constant, but it is gradual. And it takes time, and it doesn't happen overnight. And so just because you share the gospel with somebody and the soil of their heart is good soil, don't get disheartened. Don't give up. Don't think, well, that was a waste of time. You keep on sowing, and you keep on watering, 
And you keep on praying for God to send other people into that person's life to share the gospel also, to also come along and water. In fact, that's what Paul had talked about in the verse we read this morning where Paul said, I planted the seed, uh, Apollos came along and watered it, but it was God who gave the increase. And so what we then begin to see is that growth requires a lot of patience and it requires a lot of trust. When we share the gospel, we have to trust that the Lord is working, that the Lord is germinating that seed of the gospel in their hearts to bring it to fruition one day. But notice the product of the seed in verse 29. Verse 29 says, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So notice, the fruit does ripen. The day does come when the corn is fully grown and is ready to be harvested. And I don't know about you, but that's one of the greatest joys when you've grown a garden and you've labored in the garden and you've worked to keep all those weeds out of the garden. You've, you've worked it, you've watered it, you've done everything you needed to do, and you've just trusted that the seed was going to grow. You've not pulled back those husks on every corn stalk yet. You've just trusted that it's going to produce. But when it gets to that time that it, you, you, you know it looks like it's full, it's almost there, and then you begin to pull open that shuck, and you begin to see that peaches and cream corn, that's the kind I love, <laughs> you begin to pull it open, and you begin to see that, whoo, you just want to take the ear of corn and take a bite out of it right there and right then. It's one of the most awesome feelings. I want to tell you, it is awesome, more awesomer, if that's even a word, <laughs> When you see a person come to faith in Christ because of seed you planted in their heart and life. Here's the kicker. You may never be the one to see it. You may never see it. You planted it. Somebody else came along and watered it. And somebody else comes along and they see it's ripe. And they thrust in the sickle and they harvest the crop. It doesn't matter to me who harvests it. It doesn't matter to me who sees the person, uh, leads them to faith in Christ. The fact is, if you are doing what you're supposed to be doing, sharing the gospel, casting the seed, if you're watering the crop, if you're nurturing it, keeping the weeds out of the garden, you have done everything you can do. You're a part of that person coming to faith in Christ. And, and as we, we know, there's going to be some that we may see in heaven one day that will be able to say to us, you know, you don't know. What a difference you made in my life, but I want you to know because of what you talked to me about, what you said to me, that word of the gospel that you planted in my heart and life, it was because of that that I came to faith in Christ. What an encouragement to believers that we ought to be encouraged to work and to work for the Lord. You know, we can rest assured of results before we ever put in the work. God assures us here, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's assuring us fruit is going to come. And we as believers assure ourselves, we ourselves are, are harvested at one point in our lives. One day we're going to be taken to heaven when our growth is complete. When we've done all that God wills for us to do and wants us to do and all that we're going to do, God is then going to escort us into heaven. But until that day, I want you to notice we are to have a growing faith. Jesus tells another parable, still in the same genre here, the same line in verse 30 through verse 32, about planting and about seeds. And he uses in particular a mustard seed. Now, I wanted to go to the store so badly before church tonight, but I didn't get there to bring you a mustard seed. But you couldn't have seen it if I held it up in my hand anyway right here. Some of us with our glasses couldn't even seen it. Because why? It's so tiny. It's just a little tiny speck almost. And so notice uh, what we find here in this parable of the mustard seed. Jesus here is describing the growth and the greatness of his kingdom. He's talking about Christianity as a whole. And so he shows how Christianity begins as the smallest of seeds and grows into the greatest of movements. The message of the parable is a powerful message uh, to individual believers and to us even as a congregation. 
congregation as well as to the church worldwide. The seed of faith begins ever so small, but it grows into the greatest of bushes as it nourishes itself day by day. Notice the parable of a growing faith in verse 30. Verse 30 says, And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? So Christianity here was to begin as the smallest movement and grow into the greatest movement. So Jesus is asking, look around us. What could could I use here to compare the kingdom of God to in a parable? What parable should I use for it? And he, he looks and he sees maybe a a mustard tree or a mustard bush there, and he sees the seed on it, and he goes and plucks the seed off of it, and and he says, oh yeah, look, it's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it's sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. So notice the paradox of a growing faith. Notice the paradox of a growing faith. He says it's the mustard seed. It's the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. And notice what he says in verse 32. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can come make nests in its shade. Notice the words on the ground or in the earth in some versions. Are significant. Why? Because the earth or the world is where the seeds are sown. It's the earth, the world that needs the seed, that is the seed of the gospel. And so notice the farmer, the sower here, has to have a commitment, a commitment of his heart, a commitment of his mind, a commitment of his body to sow the seed. Those are essential. Without any one of those commitments, the sowing doesn't get done or else it's done haphazardly. And so he has to have that commitment of the heart for motivation. He has to have the commitment of the mind for planning. He has to have the commitment of the body for the planting itself. And so notice this little tiny seed looks so insignificant. What in the world can that little tiny speck do? Notice verse 31 there again. This grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. The fact that it's the smallest is very significant. Just because a seed is small doesn't discourage the farmer from sowing it. He doesn't look at that seed and say, "Hmm, nothing's going to come of that thing. He says, wow. He says, I'm going to plant that seed. And I'm just going to trust God what comes out of it. Just because a seed is small doesn't discourage that farmer from sowing it. He knows the enormous potential of the seed for growth and fruitfulness, so he plants it anyway. Now, you may have just a very little bit of the gospel. You may not know everything there is to know. As we said before, you may be brand new in the faith in Jesus Christ. You may take that what seems to you as a little speck that you can't even hardly see, and God says, you sow it. You sow it. You sow it. Because there's potential in that seed for greatness. Notice that the power for reproduction and for bearing fruit is in the seed. It's not in the farmer. It's not in the sower. All the, fo- all the sower has to do, all the farmer has to do is just sow the seed. But again, someone has to sow the seed if there's going to be any fruit. And that's a lesson for us as believers. The seed of the gospel, even though it may seem small, is enormously powerful. And no matter how insignificant or how small we may feel in reaching others, we all need to be sowing the gospel. No matter how insignificant or how small we may feel that our witness is, we need to sow the gospel. Notice the incredible growth in verse 32. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the other garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can nest 
in its shade. Notice the words, when it is sown. Again, the point is this, the seed has to be sown. It will not grow larger than all the other plants if it never gets sown. Somebody has to sow the seed if it's to continue to grow. And so notice this, growth follows sowing. If there is no sowing, there is no growth. This is the law of reproduction, of fruit bearing. The seed grows when it is sown. The growth of a tree from a small seed is nothing compared to the growth of a person who truly comes to know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, nor to a church that is truly committed to sowing the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice what happened from this little seed and how it became this huge bush, this huge tree. Yet when it is grown, it puts out its large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Notice what happens to that little seed. Notice the growth of the church. You think about who Jesus had around him. He had those 12 disciples, eventually 11 when Judas committed suicide, and then another replaces him. But he had 12 disciples who were in an upper room. John 20, verse 19, and, and then those 11. Then that became 120 in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. And, and then you read Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, and Peter preached the gospel and 3,000 in one day. And you notice the growth that begins to happen. You read Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, and the Bible says that daily people were being saved and baptized. And then the Bible goes on to say in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, then 5,000 men, not counting the wives and the children, came to faith in Christ. And then you read a little bit further over in Acts chapter 5 and verse 14, multitudes of men and women. You couldn't even count how many there were now. And then you read Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, and numbers increase greatly. And then you read Acts chapter 9 and verse 42, and there were many new believers. In Acts 14 and verse 1, a large number believed. Acts 17 verse 4, a great number of Greeks, of Gentiles, and leading women came to faith in Christ. Acts 19 and verse 26, many new believers came into the faith. And then Acts chapter 19 and verse 26 again, almost all of Asia believed. And then in Acts 21, verse 20, it tells us that many thousands of Jews believed. Do you see what's happening here? Somebody sowed the seed, and the seed began to grow, and the seed began to multiply, and the seed began to grow, and it multiplied even more, that if you added those numbers up, it's over 100,000 who's come to faith in Jesus Christ, and that's just in the book of Acts. And for generations and centuries since, the gospel has continued to be sowed. And people are coming to faith in Christ even now. I want to tell you, it may seem difficult here, especially here in America where more and more people seem to be more and more apathetic to the gospel. And you think, what difference am I making? I share the gospel. I share with my friends. I share with my neighbors. I share with my family members. And they just don't seem to get it. You keep on sowing, and you keep on watering, and one day somebody's going to lay the sickle in to the harvest. Notice it, the birds do nest under its shadow in verse 32. Many commentators make this point that birds feast on the seeds of the mustard bush. The very fact that the bush, the church, is present with so much good to be feasted on means that many will come to its shadow. If we are doing what we are supposed to be doing, then the world will be coming to find out what in the world's going on there. I want some of that. Some say the birds are those in the world who are finding their lodging in the kingdom, the church, Christianity. The birds are the children of the evil one, Satan, who see the protective covering of the kingdom and seek lodging therein. But the birds here are used to describe the evil one in the parable of the seed. What we need to realize from this parable and from what Jesus has told us in these three is that we are to be shining our lamp so that the world may see the light of the truth of Jesus in our hearts and our lives. 
We need to be casting the seed because that's the only way it's going to take root and grow. And we need to have faith and trust in God like the seed of the mustard. Have faith in Him and we must grow. When we trust in Him by faith, we will grow. If we don't, we will die. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, three parables, yet such great truth. Lord, I hope that visually we have been put in the same place that Jesus was when he shared with those people who were gathered around him and his disciples to share with them this truth of the gospel. Lord, that we should never, ever give up on sowing the seed to realize that there is growth that is happening, that if it is the gospel and it is planted in the good soil, it will grow. It's not up to us. It's up to you uh, causing it to grow and causing it to germinate. We don't create. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we would just be faithful to keep on sharing and to keep on sharing and to keep on sh loving and to keep on loving. And, and, Father, I pray that we'll keep on discipling those who are believers already so that they in turn will continue to cast out the seed. And they in turn will keep loving others and discipling others. And, Father, I pray that as we do that, may you grow this church in a ways that we have never seen before. And, Lord, I pray that even the world around us here in Tullahoma and in Middle Tennessee, Lord, would see what you are doing. They wouldn't see us, Lord, but they would see Jesus. Father, you've told us in your word that if we lift high Jesus Christ... All men will be drawn unto you. So help us, Lord, in our lives to be lifting up Jesus Christ so that people can see the light of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to keep on casting the seed of the gospel. But then, Lord, help us to have faith that you will do what you said you will do and you will bring people to faith in Christ, salvation. Lord, if there's someone who's watching tonight who's realized, or maybe someone here tonight, who's realized that I need to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that they would call out to you tonight and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on that cross. I believe he was buried in that tomb. And I believe he arose on the third day. I believe what the Bible says, that if I confess with my lips and I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord I shall be saved. I repent of my sin. I turn away from it and I turn to follow you, Lord. Help me, Jesus, to live for you all the days of my life. Father, I pray if someone's prayed something like that in their heart with all sincerity, Father, I pray that you would help them to know that the word of God says they are saved. Not me, not anybody else, but your word. And Father, I pray that they would publicly profess that, follow through with believers' baptism. Lord, that they'll begin to grow in their faith and they'll begin to produce more fruit and they'll begin to share with others and disciple others so that they begin to produce more fruit. And Lord, may you grow your kingdom as we follow you and are obedient to you. Have your way and your will in our lives that if we are here tonight as believers and we realize, Lord, I've not been casting the seed. Lord, that every opportunity you give us Lord, we're not trying to make something happen that's not working there, that the Spirit's not working in. We're not trying to grow a seed in rocky ground. Lord, we're just going to cast the seed, and some of it is going to fall on good soil. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to just keep sharing with others, whether that's sharing verbally or, or maybe we're sharing on social media scriptures uh, that share the gospel. Uh, maybe we're uh, calling others who we talk to as we're just going about our daily life. Maybe we see them in the workplace or, or maybe we see them in the marketplace. Father, I pray that we would be faithful to look for those opportunities to share a word of encouragement, to share the gospel message that those people, that seed would be planted in their hearts. And that one day, Lord, one day, they will be harvested too with us to be with you in heaven forever. Bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our invitation. Three eleven.
If you are tired of the load of your sin, let Jesus come into your heart. If you desire a new life to begin, let Jesus come into your heart. Just now your doubtings give hope. Just now reject him no more. Just now throw open the door. Let Jesus come into your heart. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here in person. Thank you for those who've joined us online tonight. We'll be back again Wednesday night in the book of Revelation. Uh, buckle your seat, <laughs> seat belt in. Uh, get ready to go as we're going to continue looking uh, at the fifth trumpet there and some of the things that happen between it and the sixth trumpet. So join with us Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. We'll see you then. You have a blessed week until then.